0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. Good morning to you all.
1: Nice to see you in this bright sunny day here and actually cooler finally in State College. Um, Today I want to talk about a little bit more about identity. And Of course, one of the guiding questions in our lives, um, in most of our lives is who who am I? Who is this? Uh, Who is this person? Um, And we, we talked a little bit about objects that we have that reflect who we are, but we're sort of in some sense preoccupied with establishing our place in the world our our identity here and who is this 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 identity is always in relation in relationships in buddhist practice there is no such thing as a separate identity there is no this for sometimes called the skin bag <laughs> there's no person, there's no being in this skin bag that uh, is a permanent isolated individual uh, separated from relationships of all kinds to animals, to people, to to ancestors, to our teachers, to our books, to our objects. So all of these relationships are really what define us, what make us who we are. There is from a Buddhist perspective, a fundamental nature to who we are. And sometimes this is called shunata, sunyata, emptiness. That is we are full of everything and empty of any single thing and this fundamental nature this open being we we forget we forget who this this being really is and There's a story that um, I love to tell about this little seven-year-old girl who watches her mother, who happens to be a university professor, and packing her books and papers and supplies up every morning to go to the university to teach. And the little girl says to her mother, Mom, what are you, you know, where are you going? What are you doing? Packing all this stuff up and going, where are you going and what are you doing? And she says, I'm I'm going to the university and I'm teaching people how to draw and how to paint and how to make sculptures. And the little girl
0: says, You mean they forgot? <laughs> So we have a mistaken identity. We forgot, we forgot who we really
1: are. It's not as if we didn't know, just as all of us know how to draw, how to sing, how to dance, we all know this. And if you can recall being a child um, and I'm remembering my own daughter and, and
0: myself, you know, I, I knew how to draw. <laughs> I, I, I knew how to sing <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> and dance around, you know, kind of freely listening to music and just being spontaneous and open. We know how to do all of it and we know
0: who we are, but we've forgotten. And actually we have been
1: taught. I mean, this this professor goes to the university to teach people something that they already knew, but forgot. But they were also taught how not to draw. We're taught how not to dance, how not to sing, and being taught that we have to develop into adults. That there's something about being an adult and a grown up and having a certain kind of identity that doesn't include that kind of spontaneous. Uh, singing and dancing and just the natural way of expressing ourselves, which is open and spacious and unconfined by boundaries that are imposed. Don't do this. Your drawing isn't quite right. Uh, You're off tune. You know, you don't know the right steps. And so our culture, our parents, unfortunately, our friends, all the forces of our society basically teach us not to be who we fundamentally are. In, in one of the koans in Buddhist practice is what is your original
0: face before you were born? We have an original face and we have to remember it. We have to
1: remember it. It's just like make it again, <laughs> remember, put it all back together again because we've forgotten. And we've been taught to forget. This this new face, instead of um, uncovering and discovering our original face, we develop a new face, a face. What is that Beatles song that Mrs. Murphy has or something, a a face in her jar before she leaves, (laughs) before she leaves for that for the the public viewing, she puts on that face. Um, That's not the original face. That's the face that we construct. This is the ego face. So sometimes we we try to develop this, this face, this being, this person, this identity that fits what is expected of us and what our culture presents to us as being the ideal, the ideal person. So I want to um, talk about this um, a bit metaphorically. Been very, very fortunate to have Domenica and Brenda here um, over the last two weeks and Brenda has been helping me uh, understand and um, actually engage in the process of growing bonsai trees. This is this is one of them. This was Brenda's, and she uh, did not want to take it to Florida with her, and so she. Uh, bequeathed me <laughs> this, not only this one but a, a number of other of her glorious bonsai trees and I'm in like fear and trembling <laughs> I'm going to kill them all <laughs> but thank and I've been waiting for them to arrive so that she can help me keep them alive but we were working on this tree a couple of days ago and this particular tree is a cedar, right? And this cedar uh, was taken out of its um, natural place in the world. It, 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 it shouldn't be growing on the altar in a pot. You know, it should be. It should be um, growing in the earth uh, with all the other trees and birds and all of you know uh, other natural surroundings so it was lifted out of its home in the natural world and put in a pot and when it was put in a pot it was sort of it lost its original face and before it was in this shape it was like this <laughs> it was like every which way. And it didn't, it, it, it somehow didn't look right. It didn't feel right. It was as if it had been taken out of its original form and placed in an alien environment where it didn't know how to grow. And in some sense, This is what happens to us. We are are wrenched out of our natural goodness, way of being, openness, spaciousness, and encouraged from a very early age to become an ego-centered, self-centered being that has all kinds of characteristics that are really not fundamentally who we are. And that's why many people are drawn to Zen because something doesn't feel right. It's like you're a tree (laughs) that doesn't quite feel like you're growing in the proper way. So what happened here was that Brenda and I studied this, Tree that wasn't particularly happy didn't really feel like itself. And we kind of paid attention to it and asked, well, what needs to happen to help this tree be more original, get back to its original form? And it took a lot of attention and trying different things to see how to help this tree recover its original face. And this is what we do as a Sangha. We help each other restore that original being who knows how to sing, dance, and draw, and who is fundamentally good and beautiful and open and compassionate and wise to help each other to express that, to come back to our original nature. But it takes now a lot of attention. It's as if, it's if we have to um, buy back what we had for free. This tree had its natural way of being. And now we have to pay a lot of attention to it to help it recover that. And so, after an hour or so of studying the tree, we came up with some creative ways of making those branches uh, express what it means to be a cedar and what it means to be an upright, formal cedar. And I think we, we did a pretty good job, but it needs. it's going to need a constant attention. It's gonna need constant pruning. It's gonna need constant watering. So it's going to be a lifetime process of, Tending to this tree, which at one point was uprooted from its
0: natural place. It's like um, when I say
1: buying back what we had for free, we are remembering, we're recovering. You know,
0: whoever thought we would be buying water. When I was a kid, no one was selling water.
1: Water was free. (laughs) It was just, never thought about actually buying water. We have to buy back what we had for free because we have Change the world, we have fallen into, um, we've fallen into non-original ways of being. And so, so we have to, um, we have to pay attention so that we don't fall back into these unskillful, uh, ways of being which we have developed uh, in the course of our lives as a member of our culture, as a a member of a family, as a member of uh, different groups that, that have affected us. And so there's no way we can at this point let this tree alone. Uh, it it needs constant attention. It needs constant um, understanding of its individuality of its individual needs. So these, if this tree were left alone and not tended to, it would it would probably do all kinds of um, uh, distorted things. It would, it would go off in every which way, directions. For example, if I, I know, if I weren't vigilant, if I weren't practicing, if I let go of my, uh, my dedication, to practice
0: every racist thought that I have repressed would rush to the surface.
1: This branch, (laughs) every racist thought that I have would rush to the surface.
0: Every envious wish for another's failure, would emerge every grudge that I've been holding that's been seething
1: inside of me would boil up. Every unlimited craving that I have
0: for money, for fame, for pleasure, for praise, would come crashing through. (laughs) And so I have to buy back my original face. I have
1: to practice. I have to be part of the Sangha. I have to be giving Dharma talks because that's the only way I'm gonna learn
0: anything and, and discover who I really am. So these, all of these sort of renegade branches,
1: what we call the three poisons, greed, anger, ignorance, the branches that just go every which way if, if they're not attended to, cared for,
0: understood, we need to work with them. There's no way back. We've already been uprooted.
1: And we're planted here in this pot, (laughs) in this pot called society. And so we need constant, this is a lifelong practice. And we need to work with all of those, you know, Brenda and I were picking out, I don't even know what those little, things are called that take weeds. over the, the weeds. huh weeds, weeds. <laughs> yeah weeds <laughs> little tiny weeds that grow that grew up in I mean they were just growing up so we we just had to pluck every single one of them out oh yes no it's got it's got it's soil but it's constant right Brenda I mean it, every day you've got to go out look at it <laughs> see what it needs it's the same with us. You wake up in the morning. Good morning, Mato. <laughs> You're here. Okay. What's 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 going on with you today? Let's see. Do you need some watering? Is <laughs> a branch that needs to be pruned? Um, we've got to work with all of that. This is another um, wonderful story that I've told many times. Never never stop uh, finding new things in it. And it comes from um, Gurdjieff, who is an Armenian mystic, who some of you may have heard of, very famous, Uh, started sort of the humanistic psychology movement and um, had had a profound influence on, um, on spiritual life. And he was uh, known for developing these groups of like sanghas or like ashrams, uh, where people would come and live together and study, um, study Gurjev's teachings about personal transformation. And one of the things that Gurja liked to do was to give people feudal labor. <laughs> things that uh, just to do them without any consequence, without any achievement. And in one of these groups was one fellow who was really irritating, who complained about everything, uh, was very kind of nasty to everyone else who always uh, was looking for a way out of the work, uh, who always kind of only did things in a very mediocre way, but criticized everybody else for the work that they did. He was a real, what we might call a pain in the butt uh, to the whole group and nobody liked him. So one day, Gurdjieff gave uh, everyone this job, of cutting up sod, grass, chunks, and just moving them from one area of the landscape to the other with no particular reason. Just dig this up, move this here. This guy, absolutely, I'm not doing that. I've reached my limit. I I refuse to do that. Uh, I'm leaving. And he got in his car, this jerk got in his car and drove away. And everybody in the group was so happy. Finally, we got rid of this guy. You know, finally, he reached his limit.
0: And Gurdjieff got in his car and pursued this guy. And
1: a day later, he returned with this guy he apparently had convinced him to come back into the group and everybody was like what (laughs) this guy we we thought we were rid of him (laughs) and of course everybody just accepted the fact that he Gurdjieff brought him back and after lunch one day Gurdjieff's uh, assistant, his um, his assistant in, in at the community was serving him lunch and he said, look, I I really have to ask you this.
0: Why did you bring this guy back? Nobody liked him. He was a pain to everybody. And Gurdjieff says, well,
1: I ha- I'll, I'll tell you in confidence, but don't tell anybody else. He says, I actually pay this guy to be here.
0: actually <laughs> pay him. And why? Because who we are is not separate from everything we despise. <laughs>
1: everything we reject, everything we don't think of as akin to us. And you could say that having this person there is a constant test of our character, of who we are and how we handle people who irritate us, with whom we
0: disagree, who we just cannot stand being with. I also remember we were talking about places
1: that make us uncomfortable. like I think Max, you were talking about motel rooms and uh, <laughs> and each of us had a kind of place that we, um, we found ourselves uncomfortable in, and then Domenico was talking about uh, the place that they're living in now. As and I, I mentioned a place in uh, Cape May, where everything was uh, decorated with a strawberry theme, <laughs> strawberry wallpaper, strawberry. Uh, comforters, strawberry teapots, strawberry (laughs) rugs, everything had strawberries on it. And it was like, oh, God, I can't stand this. And, uh, and, and it was, it was a real teaching. And Domenica mentioned that um, when people came to visit, uh, she would say, this, this isn't us. (laughs) This isn't our taste, right? Um, And, and that, that, um, that struck a chord in me, because I, I do that too. And, but she also said something very interesting in connection with that. She said, this is the kind of thing my grandmother
0: would like, And there was, I'm not sure that she realized this,
1: but in that place of discomfort with her individual reaction to the things in that home, she found her grandmother. She found her connection to her grandmother in a sense, through aversion, (laughs) you know, through working with that aversion, maybe she didn't realize she came to discover her grandmother there, but, and it's interesting that you use the passport (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) as something that
0: you value. So this is, you know, sort of, coming into relationship with
1: everything, all the time, even through, that's not me. (laughs) And especially through, that's not me. Because that is you, (laughs) that is you. That is you through your grandmother, through Buddha as an ancestor, through the, uh, the, the dogs of the, the line of the skipper G's that have gone through all kinds of iterations over time. How can we live with this original face, which isn't, um, which isn't tied to any one being, but embraces all? seeing ourselves in relation to all beings at
0: all times, in all places. Thank you.